Blog Talk Radio. everyone. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is the USDA Hour, and it will be hosted by Lawrence Lucas. And I want to remind everyone these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, which is an annual event in Washington, D.C., and we're not sure about location and things yet for this year because of this faked-up virus thing, but we'll let you know. Um, before we get rolling here, and Lawrence has a lineup of wonderful guests on here. Um, I want him to say a few things. Uh, I was upset that Tom Vilsack, now I'm speaking for myself here, uh, was put back in the Ag Department. I remember him when he was governor of Iowa. He absolutely destroyed agriculture in that state, although the uh, promotion for him, it was like glorious. We were growing 20-foot-tall corn stalks. It wasn't true. Uh, he decimated agriculture. He was referred to as Monsanto's golden boy, because whatever they wanted, they got. And he turned the northern part of the state into a giant pig farm. And anything corporate agriculture wanted, he couldn't get it to him fast enough. So to see this man get appointed yet again to this agency does not sit well with me. Uh, we had experience with him back there during that time. He was one of the main purveyors of premises ID and national animal identification, which is nothing but theft of property. It's um, causing you to <coughs> – this makes me so mad. Um, what he does is um, you lose control of your property. It's now owned by the USDA if you take premises ID. And you are simply the manager or the operator, but you are not the owner. When it came to livestock, what he wanted – was this animal identification, which would have broken small independent family farmers because they would have to buy a tag for every head of cattle they had. But if you were a big corporate producer, he felt bad for them, so they only had to buy one freaking tag and walked away. He was also instrumental in establishing CAFO farms, one of the most unsanitary, inhumane ways of farming that there is, if you can even call it farming. It is simply warehousing of these animals who suffer horribly. Um, I don't can't even get into that. Well, anyway, so to see this man put back in this position upsets me, and I don't even have a farm. Secondly, today, another piece of information came my way. Bill Gates, who I think is a clear and present danger to the whole country, again, I'm speaking for myself here, um, now is the largest agricultural landowner in the country, owning 240,000 acres of prime agriculture land. Um, I'd like to know of all these farms that have been, the farmers have been dispossessed of and taken away by USDA, how many of them were forked over to Bill Gates? The other thing is, if I sent it to Lawrence, how many of our representatives and so on, senators, 
got money off of, oh, God, this makes me so mad, um, all of this stuff that was going on uh, with uh, farms, and here they were making 16, they had a total of $16 million, went to people who had control of the money. Go figure. Uh, they have a partial list on there. The article is up on the PPJ Gazette. I sent Lawrence a link to it. Um, so if any of you want to read it, but you talk about some underhanded crap, and now comes Vilsack back in, and things are about to get worse, in my opinion. And again, I'm speaking only for me here. With all of that said, and I know this made all of you happy, uh, <laughs> Lawrence, I'm going to turn it over to you and take it away. Okay, well, thank you for having us on, and I thank uh, Marcel Reed for making all these shows possible and making it uh, possible so that uh, we can share with your listening audience and the American public about what is going on at uh, USDA. We are uh, fortunate to have uh, quite a few people on tonight and a number of subjects that we would like to cover, Uh, one being uh, uh, Lisa Donnelly, our vice president of the USDA coalition. Hopefully she's She's on. Uh, Lisa, are you there? Okay. Yeah. Good evening, oh, Lawrence. I'm here. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. great. Hello? Um, we also have uh, Lloyd Wright, uh, former civil rights director, uh, civil rights during the Clinton administration, uh, has worked uh, in an, also worked uh, in civil rights uh, during the uh, Obama administration, and he's also a, a black farmer. Uh, Lloyd, are you on tonight? Hopefully you are. Yeah, I'm on. Okay, great. Uh, We also have, uh, hopefully, um, have the very articulate and and our new uh, star, uh, Corey Lee. Uh, Hopefully uh, he is online. Uh, He's a black farmer and a a civil rights advocate, and, and some people will think that he may even be an attorney. But he's done a fantastic job with... Uh, covering the civil rights issue as it relates to black farmers. Uh, Corey, are you there? Okay. Um, Have him yet. Don't have him yet. Okay, but I think we have uh, Wayman Henson. Uh, Wayman Henson is uh, Dr. Henson, uh, has (laughs) long been a part and participating and an advocate for farmers, especially black farmers. Goes back many years. He and Sean Hill, along with the support of uh, the Tillery Farms, uh, Gary Grant, they are now, and he's going to be talking about this tonight, about the documentary film on black farmers, and he's going to talk about um, how they have been able to finish this, (laughs) and now it is actually being seen by and reviewed by a number of film festivals around the country. So um, that being said, uh, I want to share with you that we have a number of topics uh, tonight also. We want to talk about the Washington Post article that came out uh, recently. We want to talk about the Justice for Black Farm Act and the status that it is in. Uh, Talk about the Biden equity bill if we have time. Talk about uh, the Um, the uh, hearing coming up for reckoning in February, 
and in addition to uh, talk about the meeting that the coalition has had with and others had with the transition team, um, a meeting that I attended with Congressman Scott, the new chair of the House Ag Committee, and uh, we had the opportunity to be fortunate uh, to be on call. We had contact with and a conference call with the uh, Biden transition team, and we were blessed to have uh, Cedric Richmond, a congressman who's now uh, designated to be a special assistant. And I think uh, there were some things said that we can also talk about as well. So um, we have a, a big agenda, and we have a uh, quite a few people on that can uh, address some of these issues. What I would like to do, and being a gentleman and Lisa, I, you're going to be uh, addressing what's going on with the women in California. But each one of you, will you all just give about a minute to a minute and a half only to cover what you do and why you do it? And I'm going to start with uh, Lisa Donnelly. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, this was Marty. Thank you for having us on. And um, as most people know, I am the vice president of the USDA Coalition of Minority Employees and advisor to the Coalition on Women's Issues. And we have been working for a long time with USDA to bring attention to the um, egregious sexual misconduct issues, the discrimination problems. Uh, for women and for all minorities and um, people with disabilities. And um been working on this a long time. We were here working on it when Secretary Vilsack was here. We're very disturbed that he's coming back, and um, we can get into more of that later. But I can let you know uh, things are bad. Things are bad here at USDA for women and for people of color. For people with disabilities, we have people um, on the verge of suicide. We have people suffering because they've been removed and can't obtain medications, losing their homes. It's um, it's as bad as it's ever been, and maybe worse. So, uh, okay, we'll continue Thank to you. fight. Okay, thank you, Lisa. Uh, there's a, a number of subjects and topics that we'll be talking about as it relates uh, as we get further on in the day, and thanks for being with us tonight. Uh, Lord Wright, uh, can you give us a few uh, minute to minute and a half or two? Uh, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, well, I'm Lloyd Wright, and I retired from USDA in 90, 1998, just a few months before the uh, Pigfoot uh, uh, class action uh, was signed. Uh, I haven't worked on it uh, uh, during my years there and left just before it was signed. Uh, since then, I have been working with groups, and uh, we have a small network of groups here in town, and we've been working primarily trying to help black farmers. Uh, one of the commitments that, that, that I have and, and the group that I'm working with is trying to get justice for the black farmers who didn't get it under Pigfoot. And, and, and uh, the, the real problem was that they were promised uh, three things, uh, compensation, um, debt relief, and priority for future services. The only thing they received was compensation, uh, almost all of them at the $50,000 level. 
uh, only 371 of the farmers got debt relief. And in many cases, most cases, the farmers were in worse shape after Pickford than prior to because the attorneys had informed them that they were going to get debt relief and they didn't need to make additional payments. And some of them stopped making payments. And then uh, six, seven years later, when the final decisions was decisions were made on Pickford, they didn't get debt relief, and they had accumulated interest and penalties. So some of them were in bigger holes uh, than they would have been in if there had been no Pickford. Uh, and so they've been losing land ever since. And USDA has gone after them uh, even after their um, uh, uh, set-aside checks when they had disability checks coming in. They went and, and gone and shared those and took them. But in either case, I would say I've been volunteering primarily to work on that issue for the last 20-plus years. Uh, I do farm a few acres that was in the family, and we still farm. Um, um, but, but I say the major thing that I'm doing is still trying to address the black farmer issue. Okay, looks. Lawrence? Yeah, I'm here. Yes, thank, thank you. you very much, okay. Lloyd. And um, <laughs> I want, uh, now we have uh, Wayman Henson, um, uh, advocate and um, a very serious uh, person about this whole issue and has been involved a long time. But, uh, uh, Wayman, tell us a little bit about, what, what, about you uh, in about a minute and a half and then we'll get into some of the more details later on. Uh, th thanks, Lawrence, and thanks, Marty, for inviting me back again. <clears throat> the short verse is that I'm a retired psychologist and marriage and family therapist and university professor. Um, I became involved, I came to be involved in the Black Farmer Movement in 1994 when I was hired as an expert witness for the first four cases who prevailed um, against the USDA between 97 and 99. And it was actually at that time uh, that I crossed paths with uh, Lloyd, Reed, Lloyd Wright and Pearlie Reed. And it's been uh, uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to, to cross paths with him in a more direct way of late with the coalition and the things that we're working on. Uh, I'm a board a board member of uh, the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, uh, have worked with Gary for quite a while, since, night, since 2005, I think it was, and uh, written grants for him and helped develop programs. Uh, one program in particular that was uh, momento, momentous was when we had a Black Land Law Summit on the Howard campus in 2015. Uh, my interests are in the areas of research, writing, uh, co-producing this film with Sean Hill and, um, and working with Lawrence as an advisor for the coalition, which means that he and I get to spend time together thinking about what reports need to look like and what the, what the URLs are that need to be in those letters and that sort of thing. A thing that I'm most interested in, I think, that, that I bring to this table that cuts across all of these things that we're talking about is um, – the impact of discrimination on the health and well-being of black farmers. Uh, I'm interested in the law and how it works. I'm interested in policy, how it works. I'm interested in the uh, Justice Act, 
uh, and how it's going to work. Um, but at some level, when we have bureaucracy and people in power uh, who are sitting on their hands at the highest levels of the federal government, and we have people who, at the uh, county committee level who are doing injustices against black farmers, and these lawsuits uh, go on and on forever and ever and ever, uh, those sorts of injustices and that mistreatment grinds away at uh, people's lives, people's bodies, people's minds, people's marriages. And so those are stories that must be told. And so the documentary is really oriented toward, well, what does it feel like and what does it look like when you go, when, when David, so to speak, when David is going up against Goliath. So those are a few things about me, Lawrence. And thank you again for inviting me to the program this evening. Okay, thank you very much. Um, he talked a great deal about what some of the uh, issues and some of the questions that we wanted to address. Um, thank you very much, Wayman. Um, do we have um, uh, has Corey Lee joined us as yet, Marty? No, he hasn't, uh, Lawrence. Okay. Um, what we're going to do is um, we do have another farmer um, on the line um, who is due to listen in, but he may be able to add a little to this conversation. Um, we do have um, another farmer on the line, Michael Stovall. Michael, can you just uh, give them a little bit of um, a minute and a half about uh, why you've been in this struggle uh, so long? Uh, as it relates to USDA and the issue of the black farmers. I know you're not uh, – I'm catching you a little off balance, but we're going to include you in here for a little bit, okay? Yes, sir. My name is Michael Stovall. I'm in Town Creek, Alabama. I've been fighting discrimination at the hands of the USDA for 29 years and I also got in the movement because of my struggle, and I've seen so many farmers, similar farmers just like I am, uh, struggling as well because of discrimination at the hands of the USDA. We have lost over 15 million acres, uh, 15,000 acres, with 15 million acres of land because of discrimination at the hands of the USDA. But um, I didn't see farmers die and suffer in so many different ways, but you know the, you know the struggle is long and and is is painful and you know we still out here trying to get justice. Here it is, 2021. I've been fighting for 29 years, so it's just an ongoing struggle. So I would like to see this Justice for Black Farmers Act. This legislation will touch the systemic problem at the U.S. Department of Agriculture and bring justice for everybody. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I think what we'll now turn to, there's a number of subject areas that um, we, we're going to try to cover tonight, uh, which is the Washington Post story, the Justice for Black Farm Act, the Biden equity bill, uh, and the reckoning uh, hearings that's coming up in February. Um, and, and we're going to ask Lisa to kind of uh, respond from a systemic approach uh, as it relates to um, Lisa, what do you think um, should be done 
as we are seeing all of these issues and initiatives uh, piling up in all the news stories, uh, can you give us about two minutes or three minutes about what you think needs to happen at USDA? And I know you know about what's going on with employees, what's going on in the Forest Service, but you also know very well about what the farmers have been suffering because you've been in the struggle uh, with us since 1994 95. Um, give us a, a, a brief overview in terms of the systemic problem as you see it, as it uh, overlaps both farmers as well as the employees. And, and that deals with also accountability. Thank you. Okay, Lawrence, thank you. Well, yes, when we talk about the systemic problem, it's um, we're talking about the cultural institutionalized um, attitudes and behaviors in the USDA and its missionaries and agencies, and that is one of racism, sexism, uh, and retaliatory um, behaviors. And uh, it's been like that way. It's been that way for a long time, as we all know. And it crosses over, of course, into not just the employees, but into USDA customers, such as the black farmers. And um, it's so institutionalized that whenever we change administrations, and we've seen this for many years now, where we've gone from uh, Republican to Democrat, back to Republican. And I mean, I, this has happened with me all the way since um, Mike Espy. And uh, we, we just, we don't get any change. And one of the reasons we don't get any change is because we have the management officials in place that stay there. Uh, I don't care if you've got, you know, Vilsack or you've got Purdue, uh, you know, you've got SB. It, it doesn't matter because when you change the um, Secretary of Agriculture and the chiefs and the directors, you keep the obstructionists in place, the bureaucrats that have been there for many years. And, and you've heard this as well as I have, Lawrence, these bureaucrats, these directors and the chief of the Forest Service and their staff saying, uh, and, and the secretary staff, Office of General Counsel, Human Resources Management saying, I was here before the secretary came and I'll be here long after the secretary leaves. And so you have this institutionalized culture that's being perpetuated by these long-term bureaucrats, whether it's the chief of the Forest Service or it's, you know, um, of APHIS or Farm Services Agency, whether it's in the um, Office of Civil Rights, um, the Secretary's Office of Civil Rights, these people just stay year after year after year and continue and perpetuate the racism, the sexism, the anti-people with disabilities um, attitudes and destroy a lot of people's lives in the meantime. And we tried to get um, in his first term, we tried to get Tom Vilsack to discuss these issues with us. The very first letter I sent to Tom Vilsack back in 2009, I talked to him about be aware of the obstructionists that are in place 
with you there and work on that issue. And of course he ignored that and he promoted them, you know, and kept them in there. I have um, a person right now, a whistleblower that's ready to come forward that works in the office of civil rights. And she of course is being harassed and discriminated against herself. And she's sharing with me this information about how the office of civil rights is lying on their reports. And of course she brings that up and then, she gets harassed and retaliated against. So we have the Office of Civil Rights is one of the biggest problems we have at the agencies and missionaries and, of course, the USDA itself. How can we expect the Office of Civil Rights to address the black farmers' issues or, or address employees' issues when they themselves are corrupt and discriminatory and retaliatory and have sexual misconduct um, egregious? And that's the problem and our biggest concern is that Tom Vilsack's coming back he did little to nothing in his first term and you know I've I've seen some of these executive orders and directives from President Biden and they look and sound good and if I didn't know that Tom Vilsack was coming back I might be a little enthused about the executive orders to the agencies to address diversity and inclusion and um, reverse some of the things that have been occurring the last four years. But we got Tom Vilsack, and he's not, he's not going to do the job for employees, and he's not going to do the job for black farmers unless he has become a completely different person than he was during the Obama period. Um, then we're in for four years of hell because I have employees that are dying. I have an employee right now. I just sent an email to the deputy, uh, acting deputy secretary, Kevin Shea, and his staff and to Chief Christensen and her staff asking, demanding employee, this disabled employee that was, over an over 20 year employee who was successfully performing his job and his managers decided they didn't want any people with disabilities in their work group. They changed his um, position description, knowing that the new duties they put in would not be able to be done by a person with a disability, canceled his reasonable accommodation, ordered him to put in a new reasonable accommodation for the new duties knowing that he couldn't do it, denied the reasonable accommodation, and then fired him, okay? He has no salary. He has no health benefits. His disability is such that if he's not on medications, he is in extreme pain, extreme pain. And that's what's happening right now. And I was contacted by some friends of his today saying that they went to check on him they had been out of the country. He has no food. He hasn't eaten for days. He's in tremendous pain. And they're contacting me saying his electricity has been cut off, has no food, his phone's been cut off, and that's why I haven't been able to get in touch with him. This is what's happening. This is what's happening at the USDA and the agencies and the missionaries. They are literally destroying people's lives. He is concerned that he will die because of what they've done to him. 
That's okay. one example of many that they're doing, and I don't see Vilsack changing that. I just don't. Okay. I have one question, Lisa, and this is a yes or no. Do you think that things are going to change based on many of the edicts, the newspaper stories, and what has been coming out of the campaign early? Do you have any optimism uh, for farmers and employees? Uh, yes or no? Well, not for employees, I don't. I, I have a little bit more optimism for black farmers because of some of the things that I'm seeing happen with the black farmers. I, I, I mean, that I have optimism there when we're looking at, um, you know, being involved in the transition team and and the um, Justice for Farmers Act okay. you know, and the equity bill. I, have some, I do have some positive um, feelings towards that. Okay. Because it's outside. It's outside of what Bill Sachs is, you know, can say yay or nay. But in terms of the employees, no. Okay. No, I have Okay. None. Well, let me uh, thank you very much, Lisa, uh, for that uh, detail about what has been going on for years and what is going on now. Uh, Lloyd Wright, um, Lloyd knows a great deal about uh, the recent uh, Washington Post story. Uh, he also knows about the Justice for Black Farmer Act. Um, he knows about what is going on with the equity bill. And I would like for Lloyd to chime in here, and then we're going to follow up with Wayman, um, because he also has a great deal of background and has some want to share his input. Uh, Lloyd, can you kind of give us a view an overview of what you think is happening now and what you think is happening good? and what is happening bad or, or what is not happening good and what is not happening bad. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Lawrence. Um, but, uh, Lisa, let me say this before I start. I hope you stay on that case and, and write it up and, and surface it um, in that I think if, if we make enough noise, we ought to be able to straighten that case out. Uh, from the summary you gave, a lot of laws were violated if they got rid of a disabled person. Uh, the way yeah. you outline it, but stay on it, and uh, I wouldn't give up, and 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 let's make a lot enough noise that we make it difficult for them not to straighten that out. But, okay, thank you, Lloyd. Okay, um, but but when you talk about, let me talk about a couple of things, and then I'll come back to the staff, and that um, uh, having taken over the office of civil rights, it was probably in this, in in worse shape than you have now. And uh, it takes a lot of doing to straighten that out, and you need to write your assistant secretary to do that. But I, I want to start, uh, Lawrence, with the uh, Washington Post article. You said you wanted us to summarize where we come from on that. And that I think the comments made by those who outline why we should not have Vilsack back, I think that was well done. Uh, the part that was a little disconcerting was, the comments made by two or three of his supporters of where they tried to muddy the water in that um, first, in answering the questions, they didn't relate to blacks. They wanted to make it social disadvantaged. And if and the problem with that uh, is that we have not denied that other minority groups are probably discriminated against as well. But historically, in this country, 
for 400 years, it's been blacks who have been oppressed um, um, with government aid. And since the Department of Agriculture was created, uh, it's, it, it has worked to, um, to, to, to make sure that blacks didn't make it. So the reason we talk about blacks and not the others and that they all have different situations, and, and I worry a lot about how we've treated Native Americans, and I would hope we'd straighten that out. But, but blacks have been um, uh, systematically discriminated against. And if you go back to the Commission on Civil Rights report in, uh, 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 in, in, in 1982, it, it gives you a very detailed outline of what has happened to blacks. So when I look at the Washington Post article and look at how his few folk tried to defend him, um, they tried to mix up and say, well, this happened with social disadvantage and this happened whatever. We didn't say he didn't do some things for some folk. We said he didn't do it for blacks. He has a low tolerance for blacks. And, and, um, and, and, and I'm understanding he may have had a history before coming here in Iowa even, whether he had a bunch of complaints from blacks. But 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 he did not uh, include in his inner staff blacks, and that uh, he had others. And, and but uh, as I would say, they, you know, they all appear to be white, although some of them may have had some other mix of blood. But he did not include whites and in blacks in his decision-making staff. The other three things of, that they his supporters said he did was uh, like he um, created the. Minority Advisory Committee, uh, they gave him credit for uh, creating the uh, uh, receipt for services and that he did implement the uh, class action suits, pick for two and, 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 and the other class action suits. And they claimed you know, that he was innovative in doing that. What they didn't do, and I sent a memo out in regard to that article in the paper, what they didn't tell you is that everything that he did was required by the 2008 Farm Bill, passed about a year before he became secretary. And there were a number of things in that Farm Bill he didn't do. You know, he was required to send detailed reports on civil rights actions to Congress. And, 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 and he sent some, but what he had on his website and what he told Congress was very different. Uh, he was required to collect uh, information by race, by county, and up through the state and national level uh, on the extent to which program services were provided to minority groups by race. He didn't do that. That was in the 2008 Farm Bill. Um, so there were more things in the 2008 Farm Bill that he didn't do than he than that he did. And and so I mean I, unless we want to give people you know, awards for almost following the law, he doesn't deserve any. So uh, that's my problem with the article. So let me leave that there. Then I guess the other item is that what has happened since. Uh, I'll have to tell you that the, the, the executive order on advancing racial equity and support of underserved communities through the federal government uh, I think there's some potential there, and uh, uh, I am worried about the fact that Vilsack will be there to implement it, but the executive order in and of itself is pretty good, and that we're already working with a couple organizations in the 
including the Social Disadvantaged uh, Farmers and Ranchers Policy Center, to start to identify those programs, policies, procedures that have made it difficult for blacks to uh, to succeed in farming. And we and then I understand that, and that's going to be 200 days to get that done, and then in 400 days they're going to uh, change those things. And, 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 my, and my worry is that they're going to be changed on the bill side. And, and, and whether he'll implement that appropriately, I don't know. But, but, the, but the order itself is good. And I guess the fact that they put a moratorium on so that we don't foreclose on any additional farmers while we figure out how to address it, I think that's good. So there's a couple things, and I'll have to say, that's been done with executive orders by President you know, Biden that I'm pleased with. Uh, and, and I sometimes get in trouble by giving some slack to both President uh, Obama and Biden on Vilsack in that if you were to read his website and read his list of accomplishments, uh, you would be very pleased with him and that you would not understand what the black community has been trying to say and that, you know, it appears that he's jumping over tall buildings with one leap. The problem is that most of that stuff's not true, almost all of it. And, and, and there was a, a Rosenberg study proved that they were just myths. And, and he's good at misleading. And I think he's done a good job on misleading both Obama when he was there and now Biden, and they probably don't understand why the black community and others, not just the black community, but uh, environmentalists are a little concerned as well. And then uh, uh, when, when I listen to a number of people, they have concerns with them. It hasn't gotten to them, and I don't think it's registered. So I think uh, if we're going to implement policies under this administration, uh, we're going to have to stay close, watch what's going on, and make noise, whether on radio shows like this or with the Washington Post or wherever we can get a, uh, get our voices heard, we're going to have to let people know that he's not doing it. And, uh, and that's the only way we're going to get anything out of him. And then I'll say one word about the staff. Uh, the, the problem with the USDA civil rights staff is that it's normally a holding place for folk who probably can't make it elsewhere. Um, when I was there as director, uh, the the secretary had a retreat, and he asked each of us at the end of it to come up with some things that we wanted other folks to do, agency heads and undersecretaries and et cetera, to help us in our agency mission areas or whatever. And I suggested that I would like for all of the agency heads to take back all of those good employees that they had sent to the Office of Civil Rights in order to resolve a complaint. And I said, I know they're good employees. You wouldn't have sent them to me otherwise, but they're not good civil rights folk. They can't do the things that I need to have done. I'd like for you to take them back so I can go hire people to get the job done. And that's part of the problem with the Office of Civil Rights in that uh, they got people in it who are not really qualified to do what they're there to do, and that's the end game because they got there because they had complaints elsewhere. And, and then for those who do things in the Office of Civil Rights, we never hold them accountable. And, and civil rights is not important to most folk in the department. That's why they can arrest people there that they don't want elsewhere. 
and they don't hold them accountable for doing for not doing their jobs. And we're going to have to change that. Uh, we, we're going to have to have. Uh, when I was there, I was able to hire 34 new people, only because we had a secretary that ran interference and was able to go on the hill and get me money. And the folk that I had that couldn't do the job, I found other things for them to do because some of them hadn't had an appraisal in three years, so you can't fire them. And they didn't deserve necessarily to be fired. There shouldn't have been any Office of Civil Rights. So, so Lisa, I hope we watch how they reorganize. But if they keep the same people there, and I'm talking about the directors and people who have been mistreating people, if they keep all those folk in the staff, uh, it's going to be hard to get anything done. So we need to watch how who they hire as director, I mean, oh, assistant secretary now that it is, assistant secretary for civil rights. We got to watch who they put in, and then if that person uh, is not willing or not allowed to organize the office and 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 put staff in that can do the job, uh, it'll be as dysfunctional four years from now as it is now. Uh, thank oh, thank you very much, uh, Lord. I, I do have. One other thing I'd like for you to address, uh, just to take another minute, uh, on this OGCHR uh, equity proposal that came out as it relates to the control of OGC and HR, you've been there. What do you think about uh, the Biden um, uh, new initiative to deal uh, with that, which is similar to what EEOC says, that there should be a a firewall between the Office of General Counsel and the Office of Civil Rights. Can you share about a minute uh, of your your thinking on that before we get to Wayman? Uh, yes. Uh, there certainly should be a firewall between personnel, OGC, and civil rights. And if not for... OGC will run both of them. Um, when I came there, OGC was running things. And um, we had a few uh, uh, head bumps. Uh, and, and at one point, uh, they tried to undermine me and get me in trouble. And I got, you know, even called at a hearing on the Hill for some things OGC did to me. And I sent a letter on how the Office of of the, the general counsel was trying to undermine civil rights, and it leaked out, although it's supposed to have been confidential. And and uh, we were taken to the woodshed, so to speak, for that. But I didn't. I had less trouble from OGC after that. But OGC will run the Office of Civil Rights. They wake up trying to figure out how to stop you from doing things. They don't try to help you do it. They just figure out how to stop you. And and I would hope that we'd make the Office of Civil Rights independent. They should have some legal staff to make decisions. Uh, it's nothing wrong with having OGC look at the settlements and, 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 and whatever when they're being done, but they should not be making the decisions. So if you don't separate them, uh, Lawrence, and, and make the office independent, uh, it won't work. And some of us have suggested making the assistant secretary for civil rights an undersecretary and give them accountability, because now we don't have anyone uh, doing accountability. Uh, we spent billions of dollars settling complaints. We didn't fire a single employee. And, and, and all of the you know, employees do things, they get, uh, get fired, but folks who committed the crimes don't get fired. 
So, uh, but they, it has to be. It definitely has to be independent, Lawrence. Otherwise, okay. it, but you need a person that's gonna not become comfortable just being there. If they're not willing to fight for independence, OGC will take over and run it. Okay, thank you very much. I, we really needed that clarification, and, and I thank you very much. Uh, I want to uh, now uh, have Wayman uh, to chime in here. Uh, Wayman, you have a background uh, and, the, and the involvement with the black farmers for years, and you've been working on this issue for decades. Um, what, what do you see from all of these things that are coming out? I'd like to have an overview from you, as we did with Lloyd, and tell me how you think the, the um, Black Farmer documentary, how does it play in this, in this day and in this time based on what is going on, and we're hoping that change is coming uh, by way of the uh, Obama, I'm sorry, the uh, Biden campaign. Uh, can you chime in here and kind of add add your idea of what you think is going on? Uh, sh- sure. Back in 94, when I first became involved with uh, uh, black farmers, what, what I observed uh, both in what I saw and then what I read in the USDA literature was that responsibilities at each level of the USDA uh, devolved its responsibilities down the food chain so that uh, at the USDA DC level, they devolve it down to the region, to the state, to the county. And so when you get down to the county level and the county supervisor and the county committees uh, are making decisions about the livelihood of farmers, whether it's going to be a program service, going to be a loan to purchase land, that there's an absence of responsibility of those decisions up to the next level, up to the next level, up to the next level. And so a phrase that I picked up back in the mid-90s was uh, devolution of responsibilities. And so it's like when responsibilities devolve down to the lowest bidder, that means that nobody's responsible. People can do something at the county committee level, and nobody is going to hold them responsible. So there's an absence of responsibility up and down the food chain. So in in all of my years of working uh, with African-American farmers and hearing stories, uh, I've never, I've heard of one person being fired and that's by somebody else report. I did hear of one uh, supervisor in a parish in Louisiana who was found uh, discriminating in egregious ways. That person, rather than being fired, was actually moved over to another parish, and then not long after that was moved up to the state uh, uh, FSA, state uh, FMHA uh, at that time level. So that whole absence of responsibility that when, and then another thing that I observed was consistent with what Lloyd was just saying, that civil rights people were trying to do their best to solve these complaints, at least that I saw back in 90, in 1997. And so when the uh, civil rights people had found uh, findings of discrimination, 
and then they're going to put compensatory damage number on it. There's going to be debt relief. There's going to be commitments to priority of services. That for OGC to come in and say, no, you can't offer that. Another thing that I observed was that if the settlement occurred earlier in that window of time, 97 versus 99, there was a likelihood of a larger number of dollars of compensatory damages. And so I don't know exactly how all that worked out. All that I know was that if you settled your case later, you got the short end of the stick. If you settle earlier, you would get, we're going to get a, a fair shake. But what I also saw was that there was almost a rivalry, rivalrying, if that's the way to say it, of, uh, of lawsuits. So here you had civil rights, which was working to settle these cases with these farmers. And then you had somebody from DOJ hammering on, uh, on the farmers and on their lawyers. So it's like the federal government was fighting against itself and the farmers were in the middle. And so that, that never really made any sense. So what I saw was the DOJ appointee to the process, Janet Reno's appointee to the process, was lowballing these farmers left and right. Uh, the pressure was intense. And so I think what I observed then is what I've heard and read has been going on historically since the days when uh, Abraham Lincoln established the People's Department. And so if you have these career obstructionist people in place, much like Lisa is saying, then they are really set. So you can change uh, the furniture in the room, but it never really changes things. So Lawrence, you and I, I think we coined a term called systemic change so that if anything is going to be happening that will impact the health and well-being of employees, women employees, forces service out in the West, black farmers over here on the other hand, if anything is going to happen to change that would impact their health and well-being, it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be systemic change. So there's going to have to be openness. There's going to have to be accountability. There are going to have to be rules and responsibilities, transparency across the board. Otherwise, we're still going to get people at the county committee level mistreating people. We're going to have people uh, in administration or wherever in the forces service mistreating people unless there's a change of culture. And so the culture has never changed because the people who came in as appointees uh, weren't there long enough to get their fingers down deep and to move people around to get the best benefits for uh, for the employees and for the farmers. Now, I began to feel some measure of hope about this back during the presidential campaign when Elizabeth Warren was running. And we, we stepped there and out and said that she was misguided about the overwhelming nature of heirs' property being the reason for black land loss. And so she listened to us and some other people and developed a really, really good comprehensive uh, civil rights plan to address grievances against black farmers. Now, remember some of those meetings we had that were really pretty moving. And so when we met with her team, we met with uh, Lloyd. I think you met with Bloomberg's folks. We met with uh, Sanders' team. They were moving along with us on these things. And then when we met with Biden's 
policy team, all of a sudden something changed. And as we, as I look back over that whole process, what I would say is that Thomas Bilsack's shadow was over the entire process. There was a point at which we were getting no further productivity out of Biden's policy team. And remember, uh, gentlemen, that there were two paragraphs that we pushed against. And then we thought we were going to have some more conversations, but that wound up being put up on the web. So it's like, oh, okay. Then we knew that Thomas Vilsack's shadow, his fingers were in the process. And so from the point that point forward, it's been the same thing. So what I've observed is that Thomas Vilsack is going around and he's contacting key stakeholders who would have some measure of influence to influence the rest of us in the black farmer movement, but it's not really doing any good. So I think what Lloyd is saying is right, that we need to keep on. We have been told that there's no doubt that Vilsack is going to be appointed, uh, but he's going to have to go through the, not through the, um, through the confirmation hearing process. And I think we need to be loaded with information and give it to those senators to ask those hard questions to hold him accountable. And if he's not accountable and we're not watching over him like a hawk, then he's just going to continue in a third uh, 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 four-year window of time what he did in the first two. And I think the Stuckey and Rosenberg piece and then the Lloyd Wright letter really lines out those five myths of what was going on there. So if we have any hope for things changing, it's going to be because we push and we gouge and we scream and we yell and we holler and we write letters and we have radio programs uh, to, to say we are advocating and we're watching you, Mr. Vilsack. Otherwise, uh, the same thing's going to change. Now, now I, I feel one more one quick comment, uh, Lawrence. That I feel a measure of hope in terms of the racial equity order that President Biden has signed. There's some pieces in there that affect the machinations, I think, within uh, USDA. And I'm really hopeful that Senator Booker will come back and reintroduce the Black Farmer Justice Act and get that passed now that we have a new Congress in place, and that would address a lot of things. That would address debt relief. That would address um, land grants, 160-acre land grants, some things that are not there now that could be under the law, because I don't have any hope that Vilsack is going to do any more than what he has to do unless there's a law in place with teeth. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, I'm glad that you, one of the issues that has been a major concern, uh, Tracy McCurdy, the Black Belt Justice uh, Group, um, they have been pushing for this as well. Um, I, Lord, can you just for one minute, uh, uh, then we'll have about four minutes to maybe do an overview or a wide discussion. Can you uh, pinpoint the importance of this whole issue, uh, this equity initiative by Biden, and this whole concern that we have about debt relief. Well, the the executive order that was issued by him, um, 
the importance of that is that it would enable us to identify all of those policies, procedures, rules, and regs that stop us from getting loans and whatever. And for example, uh, one farm in South Carolina who got a settlement back 10 years ago was because he didn't have enough a high enough corn yield to cash flow. Uh, the farm um, service agency and the county committee said he had 50 bushels. The guy had won the county contest for being the highest corn producer in the county. He was getting 200 bushels. Uh, but because it was based on the county committee numbers from 1981 to 85, uh, he couldn't get a loan, and that was overturned. That is the case across this country. If we can use this uh, executive order to find those kinds of policies that stop blacks and other minorities from getting the same payments that will be given to the white farmers, that will be a start in making corrections. That's just one example. So I've already started to work with a group, hopefully, that's going to start to identify those rules and regulations that need to be changed. And all of that can be done without legislation because it's, it's, it's rules and that are implementing existing policy. So Lawrence is very important. So I'm going to work. We're going to work on that. And I want to work on that. Okay. Uh, wish we had a better person at the end that's going to put out the new rules once we identify the problems with the existing ones. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Um, I know, uh, Michael, uh, you weren't supposed to be on, but uh, can you take a minute before we can maybe get a question from uh, maybe Marty? Uh, can you take a, a minute, based on what you've heard, and you've been involved with this and this struggle since, and I met you way back in 94, 95 or so, uh, give me about a minute as to what you think about what you've heard and what your view from a farmer advocate and a farmer, uh, what do you think, uh, how do you think uh, this thing is moving in terms of the Biden administration and all the stories that you read? Uh, take about a minute. I know you weren't supposed to be on, but I want your input before we close. Well, you know, I think that they need to move faster and getting something done because, you know, they started out dragging their feet from the beginning, and they continue to drag their feet. I mean, they have, uh, Biden have the right to sign an executive order to bring justice to the systemic problem at the USDA and then plus pass a bill later on. But my problem is they started out slow. They're not really interested in doing much if they're not forced, and that's, and that's sad. Many black people voted for Biden, and other minority people voted for him to put him in place. He should be doing a lot more. You know, this USDA probably been going on for many, many years, and it hadn't been resolved um, at all. And if something don't happen soon, them four years going to be up, and we're going to be at the same situation all over again. So I just think my thought is pressure got to be put in place to push them to do what they should have already done years ago. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you all very much. Uh, before we close, I, I don't know how much time we have. Um, 
but uh, I'm hoping that our host can come in and have Marty. Uh, do you have any a question or a closing remark? Uh, please chime in. We've got about 30 minutes if you want them. Um, okay. When Mr. Wright was talking about about Ayers property, this is a uh, multi-pronged uh, attack on property rights, and you know my. Uh, specialty is guardianship abuse and the theft of estates from elderly people and by these professional predators. And I'm starting to see articles here and there on the net about how we shouldn't be allowing people to inherit property um, assets and things. Uh, they're they're going to try to dispossess us of any ownership of anything. And, you know, it... it, it not to get too technical here, but it's just like if you buy a house, you think you paid it off and you own it. No, you don't. You're listed as a tenant on that deed to your house with the IRS having first rights in perpetuity to your property. And But they're trying to, to eradicate property ownership and the right to pass that property on to the next generation. And I think it's something we need to watch very closely because it works in various forms, just like heirs' property they talk about um, in farming. Um, we see the same thing blowing up um, in the in the public sector where people simply have aged and have assets and they're stolen from them, but they want to end that property right thing altogether. Um, you lose your property. You have no standing for anything. Uh, you have no rights the Constitution, you must own property. Uh, they are doing us all a favor by allowing us to vote and do various things who don't own land. But I think it's something you better watch closely. Um, I had thought initially getting Trump out of there would have been a good thing, but I think we're in just as much hot water with Biden. Um, we just got a different set of problems. And that's That's my thought. I've got a feeling in agriculture things are going to get far, far worse. And I I don't even know where this is going to all end up. I usually can look out and say, well, if they do this, it'll end up that way. If they do that, it'll end up that way. But I, honest to God, haven't got a clue. I can't okay. see anything but misery in the future. Okay. Well, um, Lisa. Make one comment. Um, go ahead. Go ahead, Lloyd. Um, I hope, buddy, you're not right, but you might be, because I would say in the last 50 to 60 years, we've only had one set of folk at USDA that tried to move the ball on civil rights, and that was the SB slash Glickman era. And, 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 okay. and we've had a whole lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans, they haven't done a thing. And unfortunately, right. under uh, Obama, we got less than we did on the butts. So I can understand yeah. why you say what you did. I think it's going to be important if we, and we're going to probably end up with Vilsack. Uh, but it's oh, going to be important. We watch him. Uh, there are laws that they need to follow. And, 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 and right. Lisa needs to watch what they do to dis disabled people and, and, and get this in the press. And and, 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 and and embarrass them to do the right thing. And I intend to work as hard as I can black farmer issue for the entire four years. And and I think right. we can't 
many slack. Uh, I think we know what needs to be done, and and uh, it's yes. just a matter of of staying on top of them and making them do it. And it can be done because uh, both Glickman and um, and Espy did it. And right. and. Uh, and and, and okay. but if you don't have leadership at the top level, the rest of it really doesn't. Yeah, matter. it doesn't. Um, yeah. Lawrence, Lawrence, I have if a, I could, a question. Well, I would like to ask Lisa real quick. Um, for the gentleman you talked about who lost his job and had no lights and food, have you started to go fund me for him, or is there any way people can donate to help him? Uh, no, we haven't done that. He's He's so private, and he's really embarrassed right now um, of okay. what's going on. But I am going to try and talk okay. to him and see if he will let us do it. Thank you, Marty. Okay. For, um, yeah, that and if he does, you let he yeah. will. If, if if he will, you let me know. We'll help promote it. Okay. Okay. Thank uh, you. Wayman, did you have um, something to add? Yeah. Yeah, Lawrence. Uh, if I could, if I could take uh, thirty seconds, one thing that I forgot in the middle of my tear back a few minutes ago was I failed to tag the the documentary that's coming out. So if I could say a few things about that, that these are these are stories of nine of the fifteen farmers who prevailed against the federal government between ninety seven and ninety nine. And so the documentary tells in their faces and in their voices uh, and in their stories what the USDA did to them and what it was like for them being on the verge of losing their land, being treated with disregard and disrespect. And so basically what was going on with them now is essentially what I think is going on now. So history is really kind of replaying itself. And so this film is co-produced with Sean Hill, uh, and it's actually being played now on the Denton Black Film Festival. And so if people want to go to... Uh, com, and then look for documentaries and then look for uh, the film that says I'm just a layman in uh, uh, pursuit of justice black farmers fight against the USDA it's uh, a picture of uh, Eddie Wise and a lot of us know Eddie uh, lived with him through the death of his beloved Dorothy uh, so Eddie's portrait is on the on the poster, and so there you can go, and then you can can for six bucks you can watch it, and you can watch it between now and Sunday afternoon, I think. So uh, it's been accepted into four or five different film festivals for this year. We're a finalist for the documentary category for this particular Denton Black Film Festival, and that shows I think that there's something about the stories that are being told that are really uh, uh, grabbing hold of people. And Sean did a beautiful job of close-ups, of catching catching their faces as tears roll down their cheeks. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Wright is going to be in it. Uh, there's a, a, a piece where he is. There's a piece of, uh, of uh, Mike Espy when he's going to be in it. Uh, and then the, the, the farmers themselves. So it's so we hope that uh, people will go out to that particular web page and uh, find the film and and watch it and vote for us, so we can we can win that uh, finalist award because it's really about telling the stories that need to that need to be told. Uh, tell tell me also, there's two other 
you had the uh, reckoning um, hearing coming up in February, and how does the how does that fit in this whole series of events uh, of keeping uh, our feet to the fire and USDA's feet to the fire on this issue, as well as the connection of uh, Julian Hishaw's book as it relates to. Uh, what it is saying about this whole movement and the deprivation and the loss of land for black farmers and the institutional racism at USDA. Can you uh, touch on both of those, uh, Waymo? Yes, sure, sure. There are several things that are that are coming out at the same time. On the one hand was uh, I'm Just a Layman in Pursuit of Justice film that Sean and I have done. Number two, there's a really, really well done video that Acres of Ancestry has done that weaves together stories and music to tell the stories of what they're calling legacy farmers uh, like Eddie Slaughter and, and others. And then uh, Jillian Hashaw is in the final stages. She is an attorney, CEO, founder of Farms, a non-for-profit that uh, helps uh, African-American farmers with to sell their crops and food banks and that sort of thing. But she's soon to release a book entitled Systematic Land Theft, The History of U.S. Tactics Keeping Tribal Nations from Reclaiming Their Land and Blacks Landless. And it is a book like I've never seen before that from a legal perspective on the one hand and personal applications and stories on the other hand, they are merging and they're telling that they're each a part of a comprehensive set of storytellers that in ways that I think are building kind of a crescendo uh, down toward the reckoning that's going to be held uh, at the end of February. Okay. And, thank and Lawrence, you, and, and, and Lawrence uh, you know more about the reckoning than I do. So I'll, I'll, I'll defer on that one. So when can you give us the name of that book again? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jillian Hyshaw, H-I-S-H-A-W, and the title is Systematic Land Theft. Systematic Land Theft. And okay, then there's a, a long subtitle, but yeah, Systematic Land Theft. Great, thank you. Okay, um, Marty, do you have, have any questions uh at this point, I, I want to make sure that uh, you're on here, and I want to make sure that uh, any questions about what is going on uh, from your perspective that you would like to ask uh, any of our uh, well, our guests. Uh, for one thing, I want to see this documentary. Uh, Wayman, I've been waiting for that documentary. I'm going to order the book. Um, oh, great. I love great. my books anyway, but I'm going to order that book. And... You know, the more topics I deal with, and I've been doing this stuff for 30, 40 years. It dates me, I know, but I'm an old bag. Been around a long time. And I never thought things would get this bad in this country. Um, I think we're all in danger. I truly believe that. I think our whole way of life is under attack. Part of it is dispossession of land, um, absolute control of everything that you do. Why we need that, I don't know. And uh, But everything's about to change. And in all of this, I look at my kids and my grandchildren and now my great-grandchildren. I have six of those. And 
what what's going to be there for them if we don't succeed in getting this stuff stopped and turned around what's going to be there for them and i don't know about all of you but i am continually stunned at the level of corruption in these federal agencies that goes unchecked no matter how much you expose no matter how many people are harmed even to the point of death and nothing ever changes nothing is ever done to stop it i don't understand that what do we have to do i mean anybody somebody what what is it that we're not doing well i think <laughs> i think one of the major things that uh we're not doing and I think uh, each one of us has touched on it. This whole issue of accountability, this whole issue of uh, transparency, this whole I- issue of equity, uh, and this whole equi- uh, this equity issue goes well beyond just the word itself. It goes it goes to the the root of the problem and how we have to make sure that people of color, women. Uh, blacks, Native Americans, uh, at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, abuse women, uh, farmers who have lost their land, uh, Asians who have lost their land, uh, blacks who have lost their land. I think it's important that we continue to stay focused and work with the Biden administration to help them to get to where they need to go. And I think the one thing that uh, the Justice for Black Farmer group and the Coalition of Minority Employees with with uh, with uh, uh, Corey Lee, with uh, Lisa Donnelly, with uh, Ron Cotton, uh, with other farm groups such as uh, uh, Tillery Farm, Gary Grant, uh, we have to come together and not allow the division that has that has plagued the black farmer movement for so many years, we cannot and we must not allow that same uh, reckoning uh, and, and abuse and division to come in. And we've been able to do and accomplish what we have been able to accomplish because of the radio show, because of the newspaper articles. But more important is because the farmers have come together, the advocates have come together, both urban and rural, to take on this issue. And I think one of the things that that uh, I want to share with you, which uh, Wayman mentioned, is that is the coming of the Truth and Reckoning Commission Committee hearing coming up in February. And we'll be doing more information on that. And that is a, a, a hearing that will deal with the, the Pickford Truth and the Reckoning Commission, which is going to be a community hearing. And we have a whole host, and it's going to deal with employees. It's going to deal with the environment. It's going to deal with uh, – uh, debt relief is going to deal with uh, the social justice aspect and what is going on, and we hope to have uh, Cory Booker. And this has taken a lot of hard work by Julian Hishaw and uh, her organization, the Black uh, Belt Justice Center, who is doing a tremendous job at making sure, bringing legislation, uh, fighting for legislation, and bringing uh, lawsuits and I'm sure they'll continue to do so. But I want to uh, sh- do a shout-out 
for this uh, Truth and Reckoning Commission uh, uh, community hearing coming up in February, and we'll have more information on that. And they have done a marvelous job with putting together uh, this hearing coming up in February, and it's taken a lot of work by them and the organizations uh, around the country will be invited to participate. They plan to have a wonderful platform and a wonderful group of people addressing this issue of racism, uh, the lack of social justice, and this plantation mentality, and this uh, uh, systemic discrimination and racism and abuse at USDA. And I want to thank Julian, uh, Julian for her book, uh, Wayman for uh, his documentary, uh, Lloyd Wright for all the work that he's done, and I definitely want to thank Julian Hishar and her group for putting this together, and we're hoping to have Senator Booker uh, to lead off or uh, take part in this uh, very uh, historic uh, event that's coming up in February. Uh, at that uh, that being said, uh, is there anyone, uh, any of our guests who wish to add something uh, additional to what uh, Lisa or, um, or uh, any of you, do you all have any additional comments that you'd like to close with? Lloyd? Uh, let me mention just one thing. Um, Wyman mentioned that he noticed that the amount of the settlement early settlements were higher than later ones. The reason for that was that at some point, I told you, OGC spent most of their time trying to stop us from settling. And then when they couldn't stop us from settling them, they tried to limit how much we paid. And OGC decided um, uh, halfway through the time that I was there that we could only settle the complaints for the years that were still within the statute, which meant that... uh, Farmers may have been discriminated against for seven, eight years. Uh, we were only allowed to settle for like four years. And the rest of that was put uh, on the back burner, and we said, well, what we will do is try to change the statute of limitations uh, from the time that uh, the Reagan administration got rid of the Office of Civil Rights until it was recreated. And that's why the statute was extended from 81 to 96, and then uh, I was I left about the time that passed, so I didn't get to correct those settlements. But the law provided, and in every agreement, if you read them, it states that if the SOL is ever approved, the farmers would get their money. And so th- those who applied, and I think some of them did, got some additional money. But you're right, that was an OGC thing that made them look different. Right. Yeah, yep. I thought so. I thought so. Thank you for clarifying that. And the statute of limitation was changed. Uh, uh, Pearly Reed, uh, myself, and Judge Ramsey wrote that and got Congress to pass it. It was done so that we could fully compensate farmers. It was used as a basis for Pigfoot. We had no idea that would happen, uh, and that was not the intent of getting that statute extended. But it, it was used by the lawyers to do the, the, the Pigfoot and the other class actions as well. But it, but that, that, that statute was extended so that we could fully compensate farmers. But it's no, I'm sure when you talk to the farmers, you notice the difference, and that's why it was different. Right, right, exactly. 
Right. And by the way, that's that. It was Want a, to add something to that, Wayman? It was a good film, by the way. I watched that yesterday, my wife and I, and and um, you've you done, you done an excellent job. So hopefully you'll uh, win the award for having one of the best films or the best film. Well, thank you for thank you for uh, for watching it, uh, Lloyd. You and your wife, and and for those kind words. We 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 have worked hard. We've prayed over it. We've slaved over it. We've worked on it. So yeah, we're, we're pleased with the product. But we we wanted to honor the farmers and to tell their stories in places and spaces where where they could not go. Their stories demand to be heard. Uh, Wayman, could can you add uh, to um, to this? Uh, how did the the how did this happen? Who is the embodiment of making uh, this documentary um, possible? That's a, that's a really good question, and so to be to be relatively brief about it, uh, I met Sean. I think our paths crossed in 2010. And we started to talk then about how we might collaborate, do a documentary. He applied for some things and didn't come through. I applied for some things, didn't come through. And then there was some leftover Cypress uh, money, leftover in the hands of attorneys from uh, Pickford Tooth. And so uh, Gary Grant's VIFA uh, president, some of his friends encouraged him to apply for that because uh, – Black farmer groups were applying for it, uh, grant funding, uh, uh, help grow their organization and reach out and that sort of thing. And so it occurred to me to ask Gary, so Gary, while we're writing this grant for these funds, why don't we go ahead and put in a piece, carve out a piece for the documentary? And so lo and behold, we uh, got 80% of what we asked for. And then there was a carve out of 80% of what we'd asked for for the film. And so for two years, the grant that came from BIFA uh, partially funded the project. And then we began to realize how expensive traveling was. And so we traveled all the way from Texas up to New Jersey, across to Washington, D.C., and all across the South. And so through uh, a lot of family and friends across the country, we raised about twice as much money as we'd uh, gotten from the grant. And so the irony of that, so the short verse to your question is that the funding was initially from BIFA. So BIFA is, BIFA holds the copyright, holds part of the copyright with this film, Sean Hill and BIFA uh, on the copyright to it. And then, so the irony of this is that the federal government's funds are funding the documentary that tells people who watch it what the federal government did to these people. So the irony of that is really biting. And so I have some opinions about leftover Cypress funds, but that's another that's another okay. conversation for another day. But that, that's how it came about, Lawrence. Okay, thank you. Uh, Lisa, is there anything that you want to add? We're getting uh, close to the end, and I don't want to leave uh, your thoughts out, out of this conversation. Okay. Uh, I'm posting the film on Facebook right now. We talk so okay. Um, yeah, I think that um, I think that the only thing I'd like to really add is that I'd like to 
um, emphasize what Lawrence said about coming together and making sure that, you know, we don't allow for divisiveness or, um, you know, because, you know, the agencies, there's a lot of people out there that will do everything they can to get us, you know, at each other and being divisive with each other because it, it works for them. So I, I hope that we can keep our eye on that and make sure that we're working really hard to overcome anything that we might have a disagreement with and come together and work, like Lauren said, you know, the advocates and the farmers and the employees and work all together because, like Wayman said, you know, we have to keep our eye on these folks and, and, and Lloyd said the same thing. If if we don't keep our eye on them and we don't push and shove and just make them do what needs to be done, it's not going to happen. And it's going to take all of us doing that. So, and thank you, Marty, for having us on tonight. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um uh what about uh Michael are you still there um i know you weren't supposed to be on but i uh, can you add to this conversation please yes sir yeah just like lisa said we're going and and Wayman said we all have to hold their feet to the fire because they started out wrong and 9 times out of 10 when it start out wrong it ends up wrong so we really mm-hmm. going to have to hold those people to the, their foot to the fire to get some justice. And I think it, with the Justice for Black Farmers Act, it, 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 it you know, it takes care of the employees, it takes care of the farmers, it also give back the land to the farmers that was wrongly taken. So it does a lot. It's just, it helps with the systemic problem at the USDA, and we need that badly to fix that problem. And that act is very important. Uh, if we don't get that act done, we 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 won't be getting enough done. We need to get enough done that uh, the future farmers won't have the problem that we have, and the future employees won't have the problem that we have had. So, my thing is, we got to get something done, and it's got to be to the point that is big enough to solve this systemic problem. Yeah, and, and to add to add to that, um, this issue of debt. Uh, and debt relief and and uh, debt service uh, that is very important for the remaining black farmers. Uh, you yeah. know you can you can you know you get fifty thousand dollars, but many of the farmers, the real farmers that are still farming and are still trying to farm, uh, they are burdened with uh, an abundance of uh, debt because of the discrimination at the hands of the county committee. Uh, system and uh, the Department of uh, of Agriculture and its civil rights process and its behavior uh, against farmers <laughs> as well as employees too. Go ahead, Marty. No, I I was just listening. Uh, I, I'm telling you, Lacey, I'm just befuddled at the idea that all of this is going on. All of this that you people should have to be fighting like this to keep your land to protect your land from a government agency that's supposed to be there for your benefit. Now, what's right. wrong with this picture? Um, I just... We call it the last... Uh, we got to come up with a plan. Say what? That is why we call USDA the last plantation. Because it and is. And that's why we call it... But, and that's what we call it systemic racism. Yes. Yes. It's institutionalized, it is. It is just, it's institutionalized yes. racism. Yeah. 
and and yeah. you know, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to change it. Uh, we're, we're gonna have to work at changing it. Sure. Right. Sure. Well, you know, I've talked before on shows about years ago when I was a young woman, and I was here in the Atlanta area. I stood those lines at, for civil rights, and you know, at the time, being young and crazy, I thought we basically had taken care of that problem. To be this age and see that nothing has changed. And in fact, I think Lawrence even said, it's all the same, it's just gotten more sophisticated. And that's mm. actually a true assessment. It's just gotten more sophisticated. Um, with that, we've got about a minute and a half left here. I want to thank all of you for coming on this evening. This has been a tremendous show. Lawrence, thank you for hosting. You always do thank a great you. job. I want to remind everyone these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, an annual event in Washington, D.C. And if they let us in D.C. this year, we'll all be out there. Of course, I don't know. I found out I'm on three watch lists. I have no idea why. And um, <laughs> they got my picture, guys. But um, anyway, uh, let's keep working on this. If you need more airtime, let Lawrence know and we'll get it arranged. Uh, if there's anything I can do to help any of you with your efforts, Lisa, like I say, please see what you can do about fundraising for that man that needs help, and we'll help promote that. Oh, Thanks, wow, Lawrence. so much going on. Lawrence, do you have anything else you want to add? we got a few seconds here. Yes, I want to thank you, Marty. I want to thank uh, Lisa Donnelly, uh, Lloyd Wright, uh, Wayman Henson, and uh, our good f uh, friend and farmer Michael Stovall for being on tonight. Uh, we're sorry that we couldn't uh, hear from uh, Corey Lee, but we can hear hear from him uh, another day. So I want to thank you, and I want to thank all our guests, and I want to thank our listening uh, audience for uh, taking the time, an hour and a half of their time, to hear what we had to say with in our struggle for justice at the U.S. Department of Agriculture for employees as well as for farmers of this nation, all farmers. Thank you very much. There you go. All right, everybody, thank you for coming on this evening. And to everyone who tuned in, I appreciate it. And for all you that tuned in from area code 202, give us a buzz sometime. We'll talk to you. Don't sit there and lurk. Anyway, you all have a good evening, and we'll do this again. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks, Marty. Good night, and.